Hey, as we get started here for the little breakout, can we just give props to uh, the My Little Teapot from last night? I just was very impressed. Here's the thing about losing a bet. Can I just be honest with you? This is for all the fellas. If you lose a bet, you just own it and you go big. If you go 50% after losing the bet, it's weak sauce. It makes it worse. Just own it. So if you have to, like, eat something off someone's foot, eat it. If you have to, like, I don't know, do something crazy, do it 100%, 100%. Some of you are athletes, and, you know, if you play half speed, what happens? You get hurt. Just go 100%. So anyway, props. And then uh, the Frozen song last night that turned into a little screamo. Not going to lie, scared me just a little bit. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, hey, um, so glad you're here. Thank you for carving out time. I know you've got so much coming at you, a lot of input, a lot of things to talk about, a lot of things to discuss. Um, but one of my favorite things to deal with biblically is how to handle relationships. And I'm so thankful that there's a book tucked in uh, the middle of your Old Testament. It's called The Song of Solomon. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn there, Google it, whatever, I don't care. And, and we'll just kind of walk through. We're going to cover really like the first three chapters. And um, what's interesting about this book is, uh, first of all, most people have no idea where it's at. Secondly, they have no idea what it's about. And, uh, in fact, when you talk to uh, many folks about this book, they go, oh, it's about, like, God and Israel because everything in the Bible is about God, which is in some ways true, but uh, it's a little more practical than that. Some people say, well, it's about Jesus and the church. And though I, I understand what they're trying to do, I just don't think that's necessary. And, in fact, when we look at the book and, and we'll glean some insights from it together, one of the things you're going to find is you're actually probably going to be grateful the book is here too because God has created you with passions, with desires, um, with a longing. Um, and wouldn't it be in some ways cruel if God had created you with all of that and yet gave you nothing by way of roadmap on how to navigate that? I'm so thankful that we have a book uh, in our Bible that will walk us through attraction, the concept of dating, the concept of courtship, that's where we'll stop in our time together. The book continues, by the way, uh, goes into the um, honeymoon night and sex. Immediately following sex is conflict, which is perfect. Um, because, by the way, you want to talk about where the real gold of a marriage is. Uh, it's not sex. It's the ability to communicate. Uh, because truthfully, um, and I'm thankful this book models it, uh, if you can't navigate conflict well in a relationship, you will not have a healthy relationship. And then the book finishes with how to deepen. Now, if you want more information on this, we've taught this uh, at our church here a number of years ago. Our church is, again, called The Well. If you just Google The Well Fresno, the series is online where we take our time walking through it. I think we do it in eight or nine weeks. We're going to cover this in like a 50-minute shot. And so I'm going to be moving really, really quickly, giving you the overview, high-level overview. But if you're interested in it, uh, feel free to take a look at it. Um, I'm sharing with you what was shared with me uh, some years ago. I trusted Christ, as I told you. Um, later in college, I heard a gentleman teach this book when I was going through a discipleship program at a little church in Denton, Texas, and it blew my mind. Next to the gospel and the work of Jesus in my life, there is not a single book of the Bible that's been more impactful in my life than this book. And so I'm not trying to, you know, set the bar too high, but to be candid with you, um, a good relationship is awesome. A bad relationship is awful. 
And, uh, and so what we want to do is help navigate uh, a relationship in health. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. We're going to jump in. And the goal would be we'll cover the three concepts, attraction, dating, courtship. And then if we have time for a little Q&A, we'll do so. And um, if it's getting too hot in here and everybody's sweating, we'll bounce out of here. Let's pray. God, thanks for your word. Uh, we have no other authority but the scriptures. And so, Father, thank you that we don't have to turn to some novel or some poet. We don't have to turn to some TikTok influencer to find how to do life in terms of a relationship under God. But your Bible speaks to it. And so, Father, as we uh, dive into the text, as we learn and grow together, I just pray for open hearts. Uh, Lord, help, help me just communicate what your word says and to do so in a way that raises the bar for us, uh, that there could be hope that relationships could be different, and in so doing, Lord, would you just reset for us what you might want for uh, dating and courtship and soon to be, maybe by your grace, marital relationships one day. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple reasons why, by the way, I'm really thankful for this book. I'll give you just sort of five things. One is it showed me my uh, design, rather, for sexuality, um, that God actually um, created us as sexual creatures, Genesis chapter 1, God made us in his image according to his likeness that we would rule, and he called us to be fruitful and to multiply, and so he gives us a design. Second, he helped me process my feelings. I had feelings and desires, but I didn't know what to do with it, and the fraternity was not a good place to learn how to properly handle these feelings. For example, 1 Thessalonians says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you learn how to possess your own body in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like those who don't know God. Third uh, is it came at a critical time in our culture, at least as we're wrestling with it here today. The pornographic industry, by the way, is a $10 billion industry, billion with a B. Uh, that's more than the NBA, the um, NFL, and uh, the... Uh, Major League Baseball combined. So we're talking about a huge, huge industry. Uh, fourth, um, it dealt with the cause, not the symptoms. I, I don't know what your childhood has been like. Uh, my mom left when I was nine. I still remember. Uh, she said, look, I love you, and this is not your fault, but I don't love your father anymore, so I'm leaving. So I, I experienced that trauma of divorce in my home in an early, early age. And what I realized is we do a lot to deal with the downstream things. Uh, but what the Song of Solomon is going to do is take us upstream a little bit and say, look, instead of having divorce recovery or crisis marriage counseling, what if we went upstream and we learned how to become the right type of person ourselves? We learned how to date the right type of person in a way that honors God. We learned to court in a way that's not giving ourselves away emotionally, spiritually, or physically, so that when we get married, we're actually now prepared to have a healthy marriage moving forward in this book will certainly do that. Fifth and final, it's going to give you a roadmap uh, to navigate, uh, a way to sort of go, how do I process a relationship and what steps do I take? A couple things about the book, though, that we have to deal with kind of the proverbial elephant in the room. Uh, Solomon had a thousand women in his harem. So uh, you could read the Song of Solomon and go, yeah, but what kind of credibility does this guy have? He had the like whole stable of, you know, ladies at his beck and call. And that is 100% true. I mean, it, it, not everything in the Bible um, is good. It's true, but it's not all good. Like Solomon was a hot mess. Uh, but what most scholars believe is that he wrote this book early on in his life, the Proverbs over time, and then Ecclesiastes at the end of his life. So you could also make the argument, who better to talk about marital love and romance 
than the guy who uh, had a thousand women that he was spending time with uh, as his life went on. It is one of the issues with the book that's a bit of a stain on it. I'll just be honest with you. But um, if the reason we accepted a book was the godliness of the author, you'd have a red-letter Bible, period. Because there's not another author who doesn't have some issue, right? So I say that not to justify his immorality, but I do say that to say there's still, God has a unique way, as they say in the South, he has a unique way of hitting a straight lick with a crooked stick. And so we're going to learn what we can because it is inspired by God, and he's given us something here to learn from. We're going to watch this couple now begin to attract. And what you're going to see in verses 1 through 7 is uh, dealing with a misnomer of finding the one person. I want you just right now to just kind of set that aside. There is no one person for you. Like, oh, gosh, did I see him at wreck and I missed it? Or I thought that was him, but I spilled my milkshake on myself, and so she walked away. Don't worry about it. It's really not like that. You're a sovereign God who is able to create the world by the very word of his mouth, is able to provide for you exactly what you need when you're ready for it. And one of the things, I just want to manage your expectations. I'm going to talk a lot, not so much about him or her that's out there, but who are you becoming? Because one of the misnomers in dating is that we're looking at who's out there and who's out there and who's out there. And I just tell you, if you're not becoming the type of person that the who's out there would be interested in, um, that, that's on you. And so what I want you to do is just turn your, your sights inward and say, hey, look, I need to become the right type of person. Well, let's talk about the, the type of person. The book, by the way, is poetry, so it flashes back. This is Solomon and his beloved, uh, years married. She's now reflecting back on their time, and it starts chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The Song of Songs, oh, by the way, one more thing. So some of you, I don't know what Bible translations you're reading. Um, the, the NIV, I, I affectionately call it the nearly inspired version, boogers up this book. One of the difficulties of this book is figuring out who's speaking. It's not to say your text is bad, but they'll give you little indicators like this is him talking or this is her talking. And truthfully, I don't think they do a very good job with it. ESV does a good job. I think the New American Standard nails it pretty good. So if you're reading your, your uh, NIV and I'm saying he's saying this, and you go, yeah, but my Bible says it's her. That's not the text. Those are the editors who wrote that in to help you. Uh, but just uh, cross that out because they're wrong and then write in uh, the correct one. How's that? So it starts verses 1 and 2. The Song of Songs, which is, so ooh, let me pray real quick. Father, I just uh, pray that, uh, that this would honor you and that your word would um, go forth clearly, and that it would be effective. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Did I pray already? Okay, good. I started to pray. I'm like, oh, I think I already did. All right. It's always good to open your heart to God. So, the song of songs, which is Solomon's. May he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. So I don't know what you thought you were getting into, but that's how the book starts, okay? You watch the couple, by the way, have sex multiple times after their honeymoon. It is fantastic. You see him in a dating and a courtship situation getting hot and bothered big time. And uh, the beauty of that is that's real. And then you watch how they handle it. And especially for the fellas, we're going to call you up to a different level of manhood in this book, all right? May he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. This book starts with passion. It is sweet. It is exciting. It is intoxicating. There is certainly chemistry here. Uh, but I want you to notice what she's attracted to when she's speaking of this man, verse 3. It says, your oils have a pleasing fragrance, and your name is like purified oil. Some of your Bibles may, may say oil poured out. Your name. What, what does it mean that his name 
is purified oil. Well, your name, fellows, is your character. It's your reputation. It's who you are when no one's looking. It's, it's who you are when you're not around and everyone's talking about you. That's your name. And this man's name, it says, is like my Bible calls it purified oil. Uh, it literally means first pressed oil. If your parents or mom, I would assume, send you uh, to the grocery store and says, bring me some olive oil, they really don't mean bring me olive oil. If you come back with regular olive oil, they're going to throw it away and be upset with you. They don't want olive oil. They want at least virgin olive oil or what some call extra virgin olive oil. Extra virgin olive oil is first pressed oil. Take the olives, grind them up, put them in a basket, press it. The oil that comes out is first pressed oil. That's extra virgin olive oil. Press it again. That's virgin olive oil. Press it a third time. You throw it away. Okay, so... Extra virgin olive oil is the best of the best. Question, for those of you who are familiar with the Bible, when you offer to God whatever it is you're offering, do you offer to God your scraps or do you offer to God the best of the best? Best of the best. The first pressed oil was used in temple worship. When this woman reflects upon this man, his character, his reputation, his name is like first pressed oil. It's like worship. It's like something you offer to God, which means he's godly. Which means his reputation is that, that he walks with God, is associated with God, and in that um, is, uh, is a man of incredible godly character. Now, what's interesting about this concept is uh, how, how often ladies will get caught up in all the other things. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, I like his hair, or I like his style, or he's got a six-pack, or whatever, which is fine, uh, but if that's his reputation, uh, then, then he's not necessarily pouring in his life into that which is godly. He's pouring his life into other things. And so, ladies, um, when you're talking about the man that you might be interested in, uh, you need to ask some questions. Do a little homework. Um, find out what his reputation is. Find out what he's known for. Find out what people say about him at school. Um, don't just find some random dude and give him your snap. Don't, don't do that. Make sure you know who he is. Now, one of the things that's changing, and this will make me feel or sound a little old, but I am, so I'll say it. We're, we're losing that sort of get to know you period. Um, it used to be, like I can remember back in the day, I called uh, this girl, her name was Casey. I thought she was cute. I called Casey. We were in high school, and her dad answered the phone. And I go, oh, hey, Mr. Nixon, this is Brad. Can I talk to Casey? He says, oh, she's not here. I'm like, okay, well, can you just have her call me? He goes, Brad, she doesn't call boys. And I remember hanging up. I'm thinking, dude, that's like old school. And yet, if you think about it, it's interesting. What he was doing was protecting his daughter from a predator who was not a godly man and was interested in things other than her character. We've lost that. And so, ladies, do a little research. Slow down a little bit. Pump the brakes. Find out who this guy is first. Stalk him a little bit online. You have an advantage, right? (laughs) See what he likes. See what he comments on. See who he follows. See who follows him just to get an idea of who he is. By the way, find out who his friends are. Because a a boy who's not going to treat you right uh, is probably going to have friends that are questionable as well. And so find out who his friends are. Does he go to church? Does he serve? Has he been on a mission trip? Is he involved at all? Is he in a small group? These are all great questions. They're all great questions because they help you discern what his character is. Now, 
one thing I'll say to you ladies, and this happens all the time, and as a, a dad raising daughters, I'll tell you, it's important, ladies, listen to me. Uh, make sure he walks with God without you. You do not want to date a project. Do not be attracted to a project. Do not date a project. Why? Because you will carry him spiritually for the entire relationship. If he doesn't read his Bible, kick him to the curb. If he doesn't attend church faithfully, let him go. If he doesn't serve, let him go. Why? Because what you need is not necessarily what you want. See, what you want is the eye candy. But the eye candy will not treat you with respect. What you need is a godly man. And so, um, if he won't walk with God without you, let him slide away. Now, fellas, I know what you're thinking. You're like, man, this guy's diming me out. Stay, stay with me for a minute because I'm going I'm to get to us in, in just a moment. And with that, ladies, not only make sure he'll walk with God without you, make sure he'll walk with God without you over time. One of the things you need to know, ladies, is men are very, very good at being con men. We can be anything you want us to be for the short term. I, I can remember I was so far from God, but I was interested in a girl who went to church. And so, sure, I, I went to church. You know, I had a Bible. I, didn't, I think it was like my grandpa's Bible. I don't even remember. But whatever you wanted. I went to a midnight mass with her. You know, I had no desire to walk with Jesus. Uh, and over time, that came out. And she broke up with me. And she is better off for it. And so, ladies, make sure he'll walk with God over time. Good principle, godliness at a point in time means nothing. Godliness over a period of time means everything. One of the advantages, if you'll slow your roll a little bit, is you'll find out who he is over time. Because he can't hide the real him over time. And so he's interested in you, great, slow play it. Slow play it. And see what happens. The real him will show up. Now, note to the fellas. What that means then for us as men is we need to be really careful what we're spending our time, talents, and treasures investing in. I mean, I'm, I'm glad some of you can pull off the latest trick at the skate park. That's awesome. Good for you. I would totally fracture a bone if I tried. Congratulations. However, if we are investing in things other than our character, other than our name, we're investing in things that are just futile. Some of you are athletes. You want to be really good athletes. That's great. Just make sure that you're a uh, follower of Jesus who's an athlete, not an athlete who follows Jesus so he can get a touchdown. You with me? So invest in your character, which means, fellas, uh, get in the Bible, pray, submit to spiritual authority, walk with God, walk in light, own your junk, invite mentors into your life to help you. No offense, uh, but the age range here is somewhere between, like, what, 14 and 17 or 18? Am I close? 13? Okay. No offense. You don't know a thing. <laughs> you don't know a thing. As it relates to the issue of relationships and wisdom. Now, you, you do know a lot. You've learned. You're smart people. Don't get me wrong. I, I don't say that to insult you. I just mean you need somebody with gray hair in your life who loves you enough that they're not impressed by you, who can say, hey, dude, I think you're getting squirrely, or hey, girl, I don't think he's good for you, etc." Now, look at verse 4. Draw me after you and let us run together. The king has brought me to his chambers. We will rejoice uh, in you and be glad. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. One of the features of this book is a group of ladies called the Daughters of Jerusalem. They serve as almost like a poetic narr narrator all throughout. And what you see in this section here is this relationship is life-giving. They're spending a little time together. They're not quite dating yet, but they're kind of hanging out, and there's some chemistry there, which is great. Um, but what you find is they're, they're celebrated by the community around them. Everybody else around them is going, this is good. 
Have you ever seen, by the way, ladies, one of your homegirls, she like starts drawing near to this other dude, and you're like, oh, no, no. Like, that guy's a creeper. No. Have you ever had the opposite, though, where one of your homegirls starts like gravitating around this dude, and everybody goes, yeah, I like that. What's the expression when you see a couple of you, like, oh, I like that? I'll ship that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're like, I'll ship that. I'll ship. Yes, thank you, thank you. So make sure, make sure that you're in a relationship and, and interested in someone that's celebrated by the community. All right, we'll get into that in a minute. Now, verse 5, what does this guy see? Now, she saw character. She saw character over abs or biceps or whatever. She saw character. What does he see? Look at verse 5. She's speaking now, this woman. I am black but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar and like the curtains of of Solomon, black but lovely. What does that mean? It means physically she's downplaying herself. In this culture, it's a Middle Eastern culture, to be fair-skinned is to be esteemed, to be sunburned is to be looked down upon. And so she is saying, as a Middle Eastern woman, now her skin is dark because we're going to find out she's a hard-working woman. We'll get into that here in just a moment. And she says she's like the tents of Kedar, which were black, or the curtains of Solomon, which were purple. And so she's just playing down her physical beauty. Great verse, ladies, would be for you to memorize, would be 1 Peter 3, uh, it's 3 and 4. It says that your adornment, ladies, should not merely be the external braiding of hair, the wearing of gold jewelry, or the putting on of uh, dresses. But instead, it should be the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit that's precious in the sight of God. Note, ladies, it says it shouldn't merely be that. There's nothing wrong if you want to get your nails did. That's great. There's nothing wrong with you wanting to look cute. That's great. Do it. But let your attention not merely be those things, but let your attention be on the cultivation of the inner beauty, right, that gentle and quiet spirit that's precious in the sight of God. Now, why is she dark but lovely? Look at verse 6. She says, don't stare at me because I'm, my Bible says swarthy. Terrible word. Nobody says that word. It's the idea of sunburn. Don't look at me. I'm sunburned. Why? It says that... Uh, her, uh, the sun has burned her. Her brothers were angry with her. They made her caretakers of the vineyard. She hasn't been able to take care of her own vineyard. So she uh, has been put to work by her brothers. Now, there's two traits that you see sort of float to the surface of this woman. Uh, the first is she's a submissive woman. Now, let me explain that a little bit because I think that term submission has been so hijacked by domineering men who make it something that the Bible never intends it to, that it loses its punch. What does it mean that she's submissive? We are all submissive to God, every one of us. We are equal in Christ, all mutually in subjection to him. But one of the unique characteristics of a woman of God is being willing to submit to God, to submit to her parents, and in so doing, prepare herself to submit to a husband. Now, when I say submit, I do not mean doormat. Trust me, I'm trying to raise really, really strong daughters that don't take nothing from nobody. But when push comes to shove, understands their role as a woman of God one day in a marital relationship. And this woman's learning how to model that, so she's submissive. The other thing you see here is she's a hardworking woman. Let me go back to the submissive. Fellas, one of the things you want to watch for is how does she treat her parents? How does she treat her teachers? How does she treat um, any authority in her life? Because here's the thing. If she'll mouth off to the authority in her life, she will not treat you the way you deserve to be treated. If she cannot check her pride and submit to those that are in authority, she's going to have a hard time submitting to you. One day in a, in a marital relationship. And by the way, I do not think that the issue of submission has anything to do with a dating relationship. 
But I do think this, we are preparing ourselves right now for who we will be one day, which is why this is so important. Some people are like, ah, I'll worry about that later. Okay, well, that's, that's like saying if you're going to squat 400 pounds at some point, ah, I'll worry about it later, and then you load 400 pounds on the bar and make a fool of yourself. We've got to train ourselves now. We are becoming who we are every single day. Here's the thing. The issue with divorce, the problem with divorce is that we don't date well because we're used to just giving ourselves away and then blowing the relationship up and moving on and moving on and moving on and moving on, and then we get married, and we assume that the ring changes things. The ring just makes it more expensive, okay? We've got to find a way to train ourselves to be healthy in relationships. All right, so she is uh, first submissive. Second, she's a hardworking woman. She's out in the fields. Ladies, don't, don't be afraid to look beautiful, but also don't be afraid to break a nail. Uh, don't be afraid to dress uh, in the latest fashion, but don't be afraid to get grass stains on it. I, I think back to my wife of 24 years, and I realized we were working in a college ministry in Denton, Texas. We had a little coffee shop there. And uh, my responsibility at the end of the night was to get all of the hairy-backed fellows, and we would hang out after, and we would clean that place. And uh, what I noticed is she would just start hanging out and just cleaning with us. She's scrubbing the floors and this and that. I'm like, wow, who's that, you know? Then we go on a mission field, and she's picking lice out of the hair of the kids, and she's playing in the dirt with the kids, and she's serving, and she's trying to dig a ditch. Her, her wrists are like that big around Literally, if we lined every single one of you up to fight my wife, you would all whoop my wife. She is the sweetest, tenderest, kindest gal, but you would just love her. But, but she served, and she was dirty, all dirt on her face. I remember looking at that going, that's what I'm talking about. Because there's something about being a hardworking girl, and, and I think it's a lost art. Look, and, I, and I get it. You know, a lot of you want to be the princess and this and that, and you get to be cherished. We'll talk about that in a moment. But there's nothing wrong. Uh, with actually being a hardworking woman. If you think back to the biblical women, biblical women in the text, Rachel was a shepherdess. Ruth gleaned in the fields. The P31 or Proverbs 31 woman made her arms strong. Nothing wrong, ladies, with holding that tension of I'm beautiful, but I might outwork you. And I think that's a gorgeous, gorgeous thing, so go for it. All right. Um, so as we're talking about this gal, fellas, you need to ask some of the same questions, right? Is she godly? How does she treat her parents? How does she treat her teachers? Um, is she one that's willing to work hard, or is she always worried about her appearances? Because here's the problem. If her focus is all on the appearance on the outside, she's neglecting that deeper internal beauty. One note to the ladies, by the way, and forgive me for talking 2x speed, but I'm just trying to get through it here if we can before it gets really hot in here. So I'm not a fisherman. I'm not an outdoorsman. I don't really enjoy it. I think I'd probably just feed myself to the bears if I had to survive out there. But from what I understand, if you want to go fishing for a certain fish, you need to use a certain bait. I don't know which for which, okay? But if you want to catch a trout, you've got to use a whatever. If you want to catch a bass, you use a small child. I don't know. But, <laughs> but, but whatever bait you use, you're going to attract the fish that's interested in that bait, okay? And if you're using the wrong bait, you've got a choice to make. Uh, you either need to change your bait or develop an appetite for whatever it is you catch. You with me on that? Does that make sense? So, ladies, if you lead out with your body as your bait, you're going to have to make a very important choice. You're either going to need to change your bait or you're going to have to develop an appetite for whatever it is you catch, and you will not catch a godly man. A godly man, if you're leading with your body, what I mean by that is like full-on leading with your body, like 
um, immodest, tight, you name it, whatever, flaunting, if that's what you're leading with, um, the, the godly man's going to snap his eyes. He's going to bounce his eyes. Because to you, he's, to him, rather, he's like, mm, that awakens something in him. It's not your fault. It's him. But I'm telling you, if you're fishing with your body, the guy that's going to be interested in you is not a godly man. And so you're either going to need to develop an appetite for whatever it is you catch or change your bait. I would encourage you, ladies, to change your bait. If you'll lead out with your character, your godliness, um, if you'll lead out in a way that is in keeping with the word of God, um, the creeper won't be interested in that. Because the creeper is wanting to see if one thing can lead to another and to another and to another. So he can get his needs met, what he wants, and then bounce. Uh, but a godly guy will see that. And so that would be my encouragement for you. All right. So um, three problems, by the way, with looks-based attraction, and then we'll get to dating. The reason I'm uh, talking about the man's character, his name, and the reason, ladies, I'm talking about the internal quality of godliness is because three things. One, looks don't last. Looks don't last. I, I share the story every time I teach this. It's a true story, which is really embarrassing. But uh, all my life I've been very afraid of back hair. I just don't want it. Some of you guys, you're already growing the sweater. I feel for you. Um, but, uh, but anyway, I had come out of the shower. I had my towel around me. And I kind of noticed. I'm like, oh, gosh. I look back. It's like a little, like, I don't know, like a putting green of hair right here. You know, I'm like, what the heck is that? And as I'm looking at it, my back fat creased. I'm like, that's back fat. I got back fat. Like, what is happening? And I heard this giggle from the other room. My wife was laying there on the bed just cracking up laughing. And you just realize, you know, when we got married 20-plus years ago, we looked a little different than we do now. And that looks don't last. And that same is true for you. You make fun of your parents' wedding picture, don't you? And your kids will make fun of yours. It's a thing. I promise you. Looks don't last. Second, looks can be deceiving. Looks can be deceiving. Um, the Proverbs 31 woman, it says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she will be praised. You can be duped by the outside. I have done so many weddings of beautiful people who are already divorced. Because they just bought into the package. I did a wedding for a couple one time. I kid you not, I think they spent 150 grand on the wedding and were divorced in a year. And I tried to tell them. I'm like, look, this is not going to work out. Okay, I'm just telling you, you got a city girl and a country boy. She is not going to get her Nine West shoes dirty, okay? And you're not, you're not going to go live in the city. Like, this is not going to work. And sure enough, divorce. Third thing, third thing, looks are always canceled out by character. I, I've never met anybody in a relationship to go, oh, my husband, he's so hot. I mean, of course, he's sleeping with my friend, but I don't even care. Okay, that, that doesn't happen. Looks are always canceled out by character. All right, as we uh, head to dating, the final thing I'll say on attraction is this. Let your focus not be on the person that's out there, but on you becoming the right type of person for the person you're looking for. Make sense? All right, let's talk about dating. So this couple now is going to get into uh, spending some time together. Now, here's the thing about dating relationships just by way of observation. There are three aspects to a relationship, and typically we neglect at least one of them. There's an emotional aspect. There's a spiritual aspect, and there's a physical aspect. And, and what we tend to say is, okay, emotionally, like you meet somebody, you're like, oh, my gosh, he's awesome. We text all the time. It's 2 in the morning. We're still texting. We're FaceTiming. It's great. So emotionally, you're moving towards intimate. Think of it like sliding on a scale from 0 to 10. So emotionally, you're intimate. You're like, oh, it's great. He's a total Christian. Okay, so he's great. And he's in a Bible study and all that. So now spiritually, 
It's like moving it. We pray together. We talk about our quiet times together. But physically, look, we're going to be, we need to be right with the Lord, okay? So we got to keep this shallow. We can't be intimate physically. That day will come. We have to keep it shallow. Here's what most people don't realize. Those three are connected like links in a chain. You cannot be emotionally intimate and spiritually intimate and physically shallow. It doesn't work that way, which is why it happens all the time. And you've probably experienced it in your life or one of your friends. They get into a relationship, and they had no intention of crossing physical boundaries. They had solid boundaries, but emotionally and spiritually, it was like, and all of a sudden, one thing kept leading to another and kept leading to another. So here's what I want to encourage you. Don't buy into the lie that you need to be intimate. You don't need to be intimate. You have the rest of your life in a marital context to be intimate. In a dating relationship, you need to have fun. Just enjoy one another. All right, let's talk about that. They begin to date. Oh, and by the way, one of the difficulties with that is let's say you get enmeshed emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And, and maybe even in that, maybe, I don't know, maybe you allowed yourself to do some things or say some things or, or now do some things that you swore you'd never do. And then the relationship ends. How do you feel as that relationship ends? A lot of people, by the way, feel so guilty, especially young Christian ladies. Like, well, I've already given myself to this guy, so maybe we should just stay in the relationship. And then if we get married, it'll kind of redeem my oops. I say, ladies, please don't do that. Uh, if, if he is reaching for your pants, break up with him. Break up with him. There's nothing good that comes from that, right? Um, but one of the other things that happens is when you, when you then break up, you, you experience not a breakup. That's like a divorce, because you've already, like, said things that, that now you will have already said when you say it to your spouse. You've, you've done things that now you've already done when you do them with your spouse. That's a divorce. And so my concern for you is that we're, like, blowing ourselves up a little bit. Proverbs 26, 11 says, as a dog uh, returns to its vomit, so a fool returns to its folly. I'd love to say we're learning our lessons. But the reality is your relational contacts are probably like Groundhog Day. Like you blow yourself up. Overconnected breakup. I'll never do that again until you meet somebody else at camp. I'll never do it again, right? Over and over and over. I just say, I think there's a better way. I think there's a better way. All right, let's watch. Uh, let's watch these folks connect. All right, so they begin to spend time together, and one of the things you're going to see in this dating and courtship relationship, fellas, is the men begin to step up. Fellas, let me give you a definition of manhood, and ladies, it'd be good for you to know this because this is what you're looking for. Okay, a man rejects passivity accepts responsibility, and leads courageously. In a dating relationship, a man needs to learn how to lead. Why? Because in a marital relationship, he's responsible to lead. And if he can't squat 150 pounds, he's not going to be able to handle 400. So a man's got to learn right now how to grow in that area. Reject passivity, accept responsibility, lead courageously. It's a great definition of manhood. I shamelessly stole it from a guy named Robert Lewis to give credit where credit is due but it is fantastic. All right, let's watch these two begin to spend time together. Uh, verse, um, oh, where am I at here? Five, six, seven. Verse seven. Tell me, oh, you whom I so love, where do you pasture your flock and where do you make it lie down at noon? Why should I be like one who veils herself by the flocks of your companions? She is initiating to spend time with him. What she's doing is putting herself where godly people are. Let me deal with a little something on the side here. Is it wrong for a girl to initiate with a guy? I don't know that I would say wrong, but here's what I would say. If you initiate with the guy, then he never has to. 
And if you initiate with the guy, he never learns how to be a man. Does that make sense? It's like the same guy who's like 25 years old. He's playing Fortnite. He lives with his mom. And mom makes his lunch every day. Is that what you want? You want to make his lunch every day while he plays Fortnite with his homies? Because if that's who he is, that's who he will be. So uh, you want to make sure, ladies, that you're finding a guy who's stepping up to be a man, who's leading in the relationship, who's taking the risks, who's taking the initiative. So you don't have to. Because if you do that, you'll spend the rest of your life praising God that you found a godly man. Well, these two now, um, as they begin to spend time together, she says, where are you going? I want to see you. I want to be around you. I want to hang out with you. But notice, she says, why should I be like one who veils herself by the flocks of your companions? If you remember the story of Judah and Tamar, Tamar was a gal, daughter-in-law of Judah. Her husband died. It got a little weird. She dresses up like a prostitute and veils herself. Prostitutes would veil themselves. What, what this is saying is, look, I, I'd like to spend time with you, but I'm not going to compromise my character to be with you. I've got some boundaries that aren't, uh, they're non-negotiables, right? But she does want to spend some time with this guy. And so they begin to hang out. Now, let's talk a little bit about what it looks like to date. To date, it's just a, it's, it's a one-time, like one or two-time thing. You're hanging out in a public place. It's non-emotional, non-escalating, non-physical. Uh, it's just hanging out for the enjoyment of dating. Now, the reality is, at some point, as you begin to date and dating becomes plural, you're going to have to have a conversation of, are we still kind of dating, or is this an exclusive thing? See, in a dating context, if you don't define the terms, and uh, a boy dates you, and then dates your girl here, and then dates her, uh, you're going to be like, hey, wait a second, I thought I was dating him. That, that's when the relationship goes to another level. The initial stage of dating is just relax, ladies, and let him buy you dinner. And if he wants to go out with one of your friends, fine, because you're not making out, you're not giving him your heart, you're not giving him anything, you're just hanging out with him. And if that's what dating is, then who cares if he dates your friend? And by the way, when you do go out, ladies, make sure he brings his wallet. Get the appetizer. You don't have to get the chicken or the salad. You can get a filet. It's fine. You can get a dessert at the end. It's fine. And if he can afford it, tell him to get a job. It's okay. It's a date. It's fine. It's fine. If he does this, like, oh, I forgot my wallet, it's over. It's over. No second date. No second date. No, but it's, it's just for the fun of getting some time together. Now watch. He speaks, verse 8. He tells her, look, if you don't know, most beautiful among women, go forth, to the, go forth to the trail of the flocks and pasture your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. Here's where I'll be, and so let's come hang out. And then he speaks of her, his words about her so kind. He says, to me, my darling, you are like a mare among the chariots of Pharaoh. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your cheeks with strings of beads. I don't recommend, fellas, that you say to this girl, hey, you're kind of like a horse. I, I, don't think, I don't think it'll come across the same. The mare among the chariots of Pharaoh is saying of all of the horses, this one is special. And all throughout the book, he says, look, there's a lot of, people, a lot of girls around. There's something about you that's just special. And he sort of calls her up. He affirms her, speaks kindly to her. Uh, and then the daughters of Jerusalem, in verse 11, speak, will make for you ornaments of gold with beads of silver. And then there's a couple of principles that come out in this book of where they spend time together. One is, I would say this, date in community. Date in community. Have you ever had those friends that are like magicians? Like you're all hanging out, you're like this tribe or whatever, and then and they, they get a boyfriend or girlfriend, and then they're gone? And you're like, what happened to so-and-so? Oh, they got a boyfriend or girlfriend. Until they break up, and then they come wall and I'm so sorry. And you, like, bring them back into the crew. Why would you do that? 
Why would you do Dating community. If these are your friends and you found a significant other, then invite them into your friend group. Let, just hang out together. Date in community. Why? Faithful of the wounds of a friend, but deceitful of the kisses of an enemy. Nothing is more blind than a person falling in love. You will put up with more nonsense because your heart is already going there. And your friends are going to go, hey, they're not emotionally connected. So, like, time out. What's happening here? That's what you want. Faithful of the wounds of a friend. Deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Second thing, date in public. Date in public. Notice just for a second. Look at chapter 1, verse 12. Where are they in verse 12? Do you see it? King's, t- king's couch, some translations, some say table. So they seem to be at a table. Look at verse 17. Where are they there? What are cedars and cypresses? What are cedars and cypresses? Trees. Where are they? They're at Hume Lake. Exactly. They're outside. They're on a picnic. Okay. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. Where are they there? They're in a banquet hall. They're in public. Date in community. Date in public. Here's the thing. I've been doing ministry with college students for 30 years, okay? I have, I have had numbers, innumerable men and women in my office, tears. What happened? Oh, man, one thing led to another, and we crossed some boundaries or whatever, right? I'm like, okay, where were you? We were at his apartment, or we were at home, or, or my parents were out of town, so he was at my house, or whatever. Happens all the time. We're in the back of a car, classy. Happens all the time, Right? Let me tell you what's never happened. I've never had a couple come in, tears, what happened? We crossed boundaries. Where were you? We were at uh, Jamba Juice. I don't know what happened. We both had a wheatgrass shot. It got weird, okay? Nobody's ever said we were at Dutch. There must have been something in the coffee because the next thing you know, we're in the drive-thru, like, laying down on the ground. That's never happened. And yet, and yet, if you're honest, you're dumb enough to date in private. Right? Again, there's got to be a better way. If one thing always leads to another when you're in private, how about never be in private? My wife and I were never in private our entire dating relationship until our wedding day. We never kissed until our wedding night. Not because we're holy, because we're honest, and I'll get to that here in just a second. You will not fall if you're in public. In fact, in Denton, where they uh, filmed uh, Walker, Texas Ranger, that's where Denton is, Anyway, there's a downtown square, and when we dated, I just realized I'm sweating like a beast, we'd lay out a blanket, and we'd hang out, and these girls would drive by and honk, and they'd wave at us, you know, those are her friends, and then sure enough, here would come my buddies laying on the horn, shirts off, swinging their shirts around, but we dated in the square, because I knew we're not going to fall here, we're not going to cross boundaries here, it's not going to get weird here, okay, I'm not reaching, reaching for anything inappropriate here, this is a safe place for us to get to know each other, so date in community date in public. And and that's what they do. Look at verse 12. While the king was at his table, my perfume gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a pouch of myrrh, which lies all night between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyard of Engedi. What does this mean? This is the woman reflecting upon her man. There's a very different experience, by the way, uh, guys versus girls, stereotypically at the end of a date. Stereotypically at the end of the date, the guy comes home, his buddies are playing Fortnite. He jumps in. He's playing video games. Okay. How was the date? It's cool. That's it. That's it. Enough said. His buddy's like, all right. And they're gaming or whatever. I mean, they don't have to be gaming. But the point is, they're not going to share anything more than like monosyllabic words. It was good. It was fun. That was about it. Maybe okay. Stretching it to two syllables. Regardless. 
Girls Come Home is a little different, isn't it? How was it? Oh, my gosh. You know, the voice raises. It was awesome. You know, I asked for the salt. He gave me the pepper, too. I'm scared. You know, and they're replaying all of these. He said this, and then he said that, and then we did this, and then we did that. Totally different situation. That's what this means. The woman is reflecting, and she's like, look, all night long I'm thinking about this. Dude, this is weird. Like, I just kind of met this guy, and I'm thinking about him all the time. Girls are going to, like, have a shoebox in every card that you write her. She's putting it in the box. You went to the zoo, and she kept the receipt. I mean, it's a thing. It's a thing. Ladies, am I right? Okay, so hear me out. What that means then is this. Fellas, you got to lead. Because, again, use the scale of 0 to 10. If 0 is what's your name and can I, can I get your snap, and 10 is how many babies do you want, if you fellas are like a 4, she's a 6 or a 7. If you fellas are a 7, she's already looking at magazines, which means you need to, you need to steward her heart well. Christian men, I hate to say it, you're the worst. You're the worst. Because you'll take a gal on one date and say, so, I've always wanted to be in the mission field to be married and have some kids. What do you think about that? Shut up. <laughs> Just buy the girl dinner and don't be a jerk. I mean, it's so weird. And here's my point. Guys will say this too, like, oh, man, second date. You know, you're the kind of girl I've always wanted to maybe marry. Don't, 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 fellas. Relax. Just get to know the girl, right? So that's what this, that's what this text is. Verse 15, he responds, how beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves. Worth noting what he sees and what he doesn't see. He's looking at her eyes. And he's talking about the beauty that's there. Verse 16, how handsome you are, my beloved, and so pleasant. Fellas, when's the last time anyone accused you of being pleasant? And yet he is. A godly man is going to treat this girl with such respect that it's pleasant. Indeed, our couch is luxuriant. The beams of our house is there to cedars and cypresses. Now, without looking at the text, ladies, how did she feel about herself in chapter 1, verses 5 and 6? Don't stare at me. I'm sunburned. My brother's put me to work. There's nothing here beautiful to look at. Has anything in her life changed physically? No, but look at chapter 2, verse 1. She speaks. She says, I'm the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. I am beautiful, fragrant, glorious. Nothing has changed physically. What's changed? A young man in her life that just spoke life and kindness, and he's pleasant, and he's a gentleman, and he opens the door, and he pulls out the chair, and yes, I know I've said it a thousand times, he buys the meal. He refers to her parents as Mr. and Mrs. He doesn't honk the horn when he comes to pick her up. Any boy comes to my house and honks the horn, I'm coming. <laughs> you don't honk the horn for my daughter. You come get my daughter, right? That's, that's the right way to do it. He goes above and beyond. Why? Because he's a godly man He's a gentleman. By the way, the, the boy who's dating my daughter is sitting right there. So. He's, 
He's the guy who lost the bet and had to do the My Little Teapot. So there you go. I am the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. Look at verse 2. Like the lily among the thorns, so is my darling among the maidens. He's speaking again of her being distinct. Jake, stand up so they can all see. They all want to know. Stand up. All right, that's Jake. Okay, now sit down. We need to move on. And all these girls over here, we're looking. We need to move on. All right, verse 4. Verse 4. Verse 4. Look, it says, he has brought me to his banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. Do you see it? Verse 4. It's not a Christian song. I know some of you grew up in church, and he's brought me to his banqueting table, and his banner over me is love. Or I don't know how it goes, right? I didn't grow up in church. But it's a thing. How many counselors know that song? Thank you, the old people. I appreciate that. It's, it's, not, it's not a song about Jesus at all. It's a song of a woman reflecting in public about the treatment of the man that she's with. Here's the thing. You can learn a lot about the character of a man by the countenance of the girl he spends time with. I'll see guys walk into church, and she's like this, like holding his pocket kind of thing. You know, won't let her go talk to her friends. He's just like, you know, this is my girl right here. I'm like, I'm sorry, no. I love the couples that walk in. They give each other the peace sign. She goes right, he goes left. You'll watch them, you know, and they'll catch eye contact across the room. But they're still hanging with their friends. They go, that's what I'm talking about. That's the kind of person you want. Ladies, if he's controlling, or fellas, if she's controlling, not the right person for you. All right. Now, here's what I want you to see. Verse uh, 5. Verse 5, and then I think I'll wrap up with uh, a little short something, and then we'll be done. Verse 5. Sustain me with raisin cakes. Okay. Refresh me with apples because I'm lovesick. What the heck does that mean? Okay, stay with me. Raisin cakes were used in this culture to enhance fertility. Um, sustain me, or refresh me with, uh, sustain me with raisin cakes, refresh me with apples. Again, fruit with seeds on the inside, assumed, falsely enough, but assumed to aid fertility because I'm lovesick. Okay, that seems out of place. Like so far, this is like a good godly relationship, and all of a sudden, she is starting to go somewhere. Because remember, fellas, if you're a three, she's a six. Well, that means emotionally, that means spiritually, that oftentimes means physically. She is feeling in connection with this guy, very vulnerable. And then she goes as far as verse uh, now six, may his left hand be under my head and his right hand embrace me. What does that mean? It means exactly what you think it means. She is losing her willpower. She's, her boundaries are getting confused. She's She's all lost in the head, or better said, in the heart. And she, she says, may his left hand be under my head, his right hand. Embr-. She is coming on to him in a huge way. Look, my wife is a hugger. She'll be back tomorrow night. If you see my wife and you want to hug her, she would love to hug you. Um, and, fellas, if, if you want to hug my wife, I'm, I'm cool with that, but I have a couple parameters, okay? Um, I would prefer you come in for a, a side hug. That, that would be my preference. Um, I would prefer you not come in for a full frontal, and if you do, I, I would prefer you do this just out of respect. Uh, but if you walk up and put your hand on my wife's neck, I am obligated to fight you. Because that's an intimate thing. A hand on the neck. That's what she wants. Now, question, before we wrap up, is that okay? No. I guess the, the, the answer really is, well, it, it depends. What happens next? right? You're going to feel things, men, in a relationship that aren't necessarily wrong, but what happens next? Ladies, you're going to feel things in a relationship like this, 
It's not necessarily wrong, but what happens next? What happens next is my favorite. It's in chapter 2, verse 7, and the man speaks. When I mentioned that I didn't like the way NIV handles the book, I think they miss it here if I remember correctly. The man speaks. He's going to say it here. He'll say it again in chapter 2 in the courtship relationship. And it's, it's redundant. It's literally quoted exactly again. He says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the hinds of the field that you do not arouse or awaken love until it pleases. He steps up. This is why, ladies, you can't date a boy. Because a boy won't stop. you got to date a man. You can't date a boy who has no godliness. Because without the spirit of God, he's in the flesh, he won't stop. And if you're in a situation where your heart is going somewhere and you're vulnerable, if you don't have a man who is godly, who can say, oh, sweetie, that's so sweet that you would feel that. Um, but the time is not right. And so let's not arouse or awaken love until the time is right. I need to bounce. I told you I never kissed my wife until our wedding night. It's not because I'm holy. It's because I'm honest. Because I didn't grow up with the Lord. And I would pass all kinds of boundaries. And I wasn't sure how to do a relationship right. Neither was my wife. And so we just said, hey, can we just like not arouse or awaken love until the time is right? She's like, I'm cool with that. Let's just do ministry. I'm like, done. So we just loved college students and helped people get sober and walk with Jesus. And it was beautiful. And on our wedding day, when I kissed her for the first time, 400 college students stood in ovation. Because they knew what we had done. And what we had done is gotten honest about ourselves. And just said, I'm not convinced I can handle this well. And I want to ask the right question. In a relationship, what's the number one question most people are asking? You can talk to me. What's the relationship, or what's the question most people in relationships are asking? How far is too far? All due respect. How stupid can we be? And I asked the question early on as well. It's like if I took a gun, a 45, and I go, I'm just curious, how close can I get it to my head before it's going to cause some damage? You with me? It's, it's, just not a, it's just not a good question to ask. Maybe a better question to ask is how godly can I be in this relationship? Because if you ask the question how godly can I be, you know what you'll never have? Regret. Right? You'll never have Regret. And if you ask the question, how far is too far, you could actually ruin a really good thing. Because you've probably noticed, either in your life or one of your friends, when you cross those boundaries, it changes. The relationship changes. Something shuts off. Something breaks. It breaks because God never intended you to handle that kind of intimacy without the exclusionary promise of a marriage. It breaks because you gave yourself to someone that you should have never gave yourself to outside of God's design. And can I just tell you, if something in you has already broken, that's why we have a Savior who makes old things new. And I'm not defined by where I've been, nor are you defined by where you've been. We are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, we are fully forgiven. We are fully accepted. We are fully known. And we are fully loved. And so I don't, say, I don't share this. I don't know why, I'm not crying. You're crying. I don't share this to shame you. I share this to invite you with me into newness in Christ, that it can be different. It can be different. Let me close with courtship real quick. A couple of things um, that I just want you to know about courtship, really a process that you can follow. What's the difference with dating and courtship? Most Christians, unfortunately, call it courtship, uh, courtship, but really they're still dating. And uh, 
with nothing changing. And, and I think what courtship is, is when you get to the point where you say, hey, I'm in a place where I'd like to begin to head towards marriage. I have the maturity that I could head towards marriage. I'm not living with my mom. Um, I have the spiritual maturity to steward a relationship, and, and so I, I'm ready to take that next step. By the way, it really has nothing to do with age. I've seen 50-year-olds who aren't ready to court. Uh, so it's really not about age. It's about wisdom and maturity. But I would, I would say to the fellas, when it gets to a courtship relationship, this is where you've got to find some big boy pants, and you've got to man up. Five things, okay, quickly, and then we're done. The first thing that, that courtship, what courtship is, is to, is to initiate clarity in a relationship so that she never wonders where you stand, you've already told her. So many relationships, by the way, you're like, oh, tell me your name real quick. Say it again. Sailor. So like, sailor, oh, sailor, you're hanging out with so-and-so. She's like, yes, it's great. You go, great. What's going on? She's like, I don't, I don't know. We're just like hanging out, I guess. Like, are you guys dating? Are you together? Well, I mean, you know, we're just kind of talking, blah, blah. It's as vague as can be. And by the way, that's the purpose of it. The goal is vague. In an unbiblical dating context, the goal is vague because then he never has to be responsible. You understand what I'm saying? How much better if Sailor's in a relationship and this boy says, this is where I stand. Are you cool with that? And she goes, yeah. This is where I stand. Are you cool with that? Yeah. This is where I stand. Are you cool with it? Yeah. All she's got to do is like a, like a pitcher who's shaking off the catcher. The catcher calls the sign the pitcher wants. The pitcher just nods. That's all you've got to do. And there's five things, fellas, you need to go first. First is a declaration of intentions to pursue a friendship, which means, hey, I'd like to move beyond just dating. Can we take this thing to the next level? Here's how I feel about you. I would like to do, I would like to begin to pursue you in a courtship relationship. Are you okay with that? And the beauty of it, fellas and ladies for that matter, is she then gets to say yes or no. And by the way, ladies, that's all you have to say. You don't have to go, you know, sometimes guys are like, I really like you. Do you like me too? That's that's boy. Just be a man. This is how I feel. And if I get shot down, praise God. This is how I feel. This is what I'd like to do. Are you okay with that? And then, ladies, you get to say, yes, I'm okay with that. If, uh, <laughs> By the way, if she says no, guys, don't be a stalker. Let it go. I know you're all singing the song too, but just let it go. If she says no, move on and don't get weird about it. But if she says yes, second step, a declaration of intentions towards exclusivity. Hey, I'd like to do this just you and I. Like we're... We're getting, we're getting time together. I'm enjoying that. I'd really like to not date anyone else. I'd really like for you to not date anyone else. Are you cool with that? Again, ladies, you might say, no, I'm not cool with that. I kind of want to date some other guys. Then tell him, I'm not cool with that. I kind of want to date some other guys. There's no harm, no foul. Be honest. All right? Uh, and if she says yes, then you take it to the Next step, which is what's called discovery. In chapter 2, verse 15, there's a really fascinating text. She seems to be hiding, and he just calls to her gently. And she says, are, will you catch the foxes, the foxes for us that are in our vineyard that will ruin the vineyard? Meaning, are you willing to deal with the problem? She's insecure because she's moving pretty significantly towards intimacy, so she's vulnerable in that regard. And there needs to be some sort of discovery where you have some good, honest conversation. Like, I took my wife, we went to my high school, um, I was showing her around when we were dating, courting technically at that time, and I go, hey, look, you just need to know, um, I did not walk with Jesus, and I made a lot of bad decisions, and she stops me. I'm so thankful. And she goes, look, I, I, don't, I don't really care where you've been, I know who you are, and, and that's the man I care about. I'm like, <laughs> Contrast, previous girl I dated, 
shared with her, hey, look, I've made some bad decisions, this and that, and she shamed me, and uh, I struggled with it. And so uh, you need to have some disclosure, some discovery, I call it. Uh, but details aren't important. Th- this isn't the time to go, well, hey, said, dude, um, just want you to know I dated your friend and your, your dad and, like, this guy and your coach. And, like, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. You don't need to do that, okay? But you need to be honest about where you've been. Have you crossed boundaries? Have you, you know... Have you made bad decisions, whatever? And, and you've got to share that and, and let the outcome go wherever it will. And if he bounces, he bounces. And if he stays, he stays. That's discovery. Uh, fourth one, uh, declaration of intentions moving towards marriage. I told my wife, uh, girlfriend at the time, I said, hey, look, I've done my best I could to communicate to you early and often exactly where we stand. The next communication you'll hear is an engagement. I won't tell you when. I won't tell you how. Are you okay with that? She said, I'm okay with that. I said, great. And then the final one, as you can imagine, is engagement. Why do I walk through this so painfully? Because the only thing worse than being single wishing you were married is being married wishing you were single. And what I would love for you to do is get upstream a little bit. No disrespect to our influencers on TikTok. I'm just not convinced they have the truth. No disrespect to those that you're reading elsewhere. I'm just not convinced they have the truth. No disrespect to your 15-year-old homie. I'm just not convinced he or she has the truth. And here's what I know. There's too much at stake. Because if you go through a bad relationship, you carry that with you for the rest of your life. And I just want something different for you by the grace of God. Let me pray. We're done. God, grateful for these uh, students and for a word from God in your Bible to help us know how to do relationships well. Lord, would you give us just hope that it could be different, that if our parents bounced, that our marriage could be different. And if we live in carnage of relationships around us, that ours could be different, that if coaches have divorced or teachers have divorced or principals have divorced, ours could be different. And so, God, I am so grateful that in Christ, Lord, we are made new. And in that, you're, you're doing something special, especially in this generation, raising their sights to see a different way of doing life, one that's in Christ, driven by your word. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So uh, we'll be done. If you need to bounce, bounce. Um, I'll hang for just a little bit in this sauna. And if you want to ask any questions, I'll field a couple questions.